0: Welcome, welcome, everybody. We are plowing through Matthew, and this lesson, we're actually going to jump through three chapters. Are you ready to go? I mean, I hope so. I'm ready. In these three chapters, I want us to think about how Jesus is received by people, and then how people. Um, receive them. So what kind of response does Jesus get from the people? And then what kind of response does Jesus give to the people? Okay, that's what I want you to focus on. This will be the triumphal entry. So this is the beginning of the last week of Jesus's Uh, time before the crucifixion I'm not gonna say the last week of his time on earth because he'll rise again after three days and he'll be on earth for 40 more days so this would be the last week before Jesus is crucified so Matthew 21 22 and 23 Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, just say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. And Matthew says this took place. To fulfill what was spoken by the prophet say to the daughter of zion behold your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a beast of burden and that word humble stands out to me our previous lesson the kingdom of god <clears throat> is about this humble generous sacrifice and service that the last will be first And I think that theme still resonates here. Jesus is going to come humble on a donkey, not on a war horse, not riding into the city as what would happen in the first century. A conquering king or would-be ruler would come into a city with his army and he'd be on a a horse. But Jesus is coming on a donkey. There's a humility here, there's something different about his kingdom movement. Then the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put uh, put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road and cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. So Hosanna, um, God, God saves, or, or, or save, or, or salvation to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So there's this fevered pitch of expectation as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. The Messiah has arrived. What does it look like for Jesus to arrive? And it's interesting, that language of prophet right there. Who is this person? Well, he's the prophet Jesus. So that actually makes sense with what we're about to read. So let me read this next section. And so Jesus enters the temple. And what does he do? He drives out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. This is, guys, what Jeremiah the prophet does in the Old Testament. He confronts the people of God at the temple, and Jesus is about to do the same thing. So Jesus is acting like an Old Testament prophet right here. He's acting like one with a lot of authority, and he's also acting like a king. So Jesus says to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So there's actually a couple couple quotations there from Isaiah and also from Jeremiah. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise. Oh, guys, do you know where that's from? That's from Psalm 8. That's a cool psalm. What And in that psalm, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him, Uh, but you've crowned him with glory and honor. So Jesus is flexing a little bit there. He's saying more, I think, than just that. He wants Psalm 8 on the brain. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. All right. So then we come to the fig tree event. So... This is one of those moments i've talked to some of you guys about this before where we just connect dots all right connect dots connect where jesus just was the way matthew is constructing his narrative he's putting things together in purpose so in the morning as he was returning to the city jesus became hungry and seeing a fig tree by the wayside he went to it found nothing on it only leaves And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and don't doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, which I think he might be referring to the mountain that has the temple on it, guys, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Do you remember Jesus earlier said this is to be a house of prayer in the temple? And I think we're supposed to be connecting the fig tree and the idea of prayer and why Jesus is cursing the fig tree to what we saw in the temple. Jesus didn't see any fruit in the temple. And he's going to bring curse language upon them by his action. And actually in the next chapter, the way he's going to talk to the Sadducees and Pharisees. So I think the fig tree is a representation of not just the temple itself. No, no, it's the people who are working in the temple. It's what they have made it become. I think that's the connection here. And notice the next section. And when Jesus entered the temple. So Matthew has sandwiched the fig tree into times where Jesus goes to the temple. Otherwise, as I've said before, you just get a weird story of Jesus being hangry, and that doesn't work. The the language, the the literature here is far too nuanced, right? When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him, who we're going to see don't have fruit, guys. As he was teaching, he said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And well, Jesus said, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you can tell me the answer, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, why didn't you believe it then? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd. For they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered, Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, well, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus exposes their motives in this unbelievable way, and they got nothing. What do you think? Jesus says, a man has two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he's changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they did believe him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. And here's another parable Jesus gives them. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard. And the vineyard often represents Israel in the Old Testament. But put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season for fruit (laughs) drew near fruit ringing in our ears right from the chapter he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit and the tenants took his servants and beat one killed another and stoned another and he sent his other servants more than the first and they did the same to them finally he sent his son to them and they said they'll respect my son but when the tenants saw the son they said to him let's this is the heir let's kill him And have the inheritance and they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes what will he do with these tenants and they said well he will put those wretches to their miserable death and let let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season and jesus said have you read never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this is psalm 118 22 has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in their eyes. The sun rejected is the stone rejected. It's the temple. All these things get wrapped together. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people, producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, they perceived Jesus was speaking about them. Yep. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Matthew 21. Here's 22. Again, reactions Jesus has for people and how they, they respond to him. I'll keep going. And again, Jesus spoke in parables, saying the kingdom of heaven could be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for a son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they wouldn't come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who were invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. They went off, one to his farm and another business, and while the rest seized his servants, treated him them shamefully and killed them. And the king was angry and He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they could find, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Well, that's interesting, huh? There's something about that individual that did not have what the others had, and it guys, it can have, have anything to do with clothing. So who belongs at the wedding feast and who doesn't belong? Who's prepared for it? Who, Yeah, who belongs? I, I, I think that that's the point here, especially with where we're going to go with the Sadducees and Pharisees. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. Yeah, right. And you don't care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then if you think it is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not. Oh, they're totally setting Jesus up. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why do you put me to the test? You hypocrites. Show me the coin for the tax. And so they brought him a denarius and Jesus said, whose likeness and inscriptions on this? And they said, it's Caesar's. Jesus said, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God, the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left and went away. Same day the Sadducees show up and Matthew says, who say that there is no resurrection? And they asked him a question, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies and has no children, his brother uh, must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died and had no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So to the second, third, down to the seventh. And after them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, wait, hold on. Matthew has told us the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. So Matthew highlights their in sincerity in the resurrection of the seven whose wife will she be for they all had her but jesus answered them you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of god for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven for as as for the resurrection of the dead have you not read what was said to you by god I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. But the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second's like it, Love your neighbor as yourself on these two depend all the law and the prophets it's the thing that the pharisees and sadducees are not doing now while the pharisees were gathered together jesus asked them a question oh oh! jesus is now on the offensive what do you think about the christ whose son is he and they said he's the son of david they're probably looking at each other like come on that was an easy question and then jesus drops this bomb on him he says How is it that David, in the Spirit, calls him, in other words, the son of David, how does he call him Lord? Then Jesus quotes the most quoted passage from the Old Testament, in the New Testament. It's Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And Jesus says, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one's able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare ask him any more questions. (laughs) Um, So just to clarify, Jesus is saying, when David said, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord would be the Lord God. So the Lord God, David said, said to my, as in David, my Lord as in Jesus. So the Lord God said to David's Lord Jesus, sit at my right hand. So we need someone related to David, but we need someone who is divine. And I'll say related to God just for the language, but who is God and can be called Lord. Last chapter. Now Jesus is going to talk to the the pharisees and the scribes so and we'll wrap up then jesus said to the crowds and the disciples the scribes and the pharisees sit on Moses' seat and do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works they do so do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works they do for they preach and they do not practice they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear And lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Um, And he he just goes on here, verse 13. I'm just going to skip a little bit of this. He's going to say, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in woe to you scribes and pharisees you hypocrites you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves and he just goes over and over again in this chapter challenging the pharisees and the scribes calling them hypocrites and showing how guilty they are of what they've done and let me just read the last part here it gets us back to that fig tree from two chapters ago. Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered you, your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you're not willing. See, your house is left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So jesus mourns over the response that he's given when he enters into the city but what's going to be amazing of course is how god will use their rejection of him to be salvation for the world and how the salvation of the gentiles will bring salvation back for the jews as well Um, some cool stuff in there that i think paul picks up on in romans 9 through 11.